0: Welcome, this is Cascade Church Portland's podcast. We exist to invite all people to join us as we follow Jesus together in bringing heaven to earth. Good morning, good to see you. We're glad you're here. Uh, My name is Kurt Kroon. I'm a pastor here at Cascade, and you are?
1: My name is Scott Erickson, and... I'm not a pastor here at Cascade.
0: (laughs) So uh, the reason why we're both up here is my friend Scott, who is here, and a couple weeks ago, he did a week and a half? Week and a half. Week and a half. He did a new one-man show he's working on called Say Yes, a liturgy of not giving up on yourself, Mm -hmm. and it's incredible, and you're going to be doing more around town, right? I have one Friday
1: night in East Vancouver, Oh. Oh. where the players play. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, if you haven't got a chance to see it, you should. It's incredible. And a lot of the themes that Scott was covering in his one-man show, I was like, that would be perfect for the message we're doing now. And I could either steal it and pretend I didn't know what I was doing, yeah. or I could ask Scott and like, hey, what if we teach this together? <laughs> and this felt like the Christian version.
1: So Yeah, that's we're, he's literally modeling maturity and adulting
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Great.
1: Yeah, well, we want to start with a story. Let's start with an awkward story. Uh, It feels like most awkward stories in your life happen in college, which this one did. I, uh, with a group of friends that I went to high school with, we were all in college. We got together for a trip. We went rafting on the Deschutes River. Have you ever done that locally, rafting on the Deschutes River? Really fun. If you know, if you haven't done it, so the Deschutes River has like five... like, two minutes of intensity and three hours of just hanging out in a raft. Um, so you just kind of, like, slowly go through these, uh, the river, and then every now and then there's some rapids, and you're like, whoa, and it's worth it. But people bring along, like, big water guns and buckets because there's all these rafts out there, and so eventually you'll have, like, a water battle. And us in our youthful vigor for war, we thought... One guy was like, what we should do is we should be like pirates and we should try to take over another raft, like literally like jump off of our raft into another raft. That sounds like next level because that's what we're all about, taking it to the next level. So this guy, Matt, who's a great man now, uh, but he, he, we approached this raft and it's, Filled, it was kind of like a multi-generational raft. It wasn't like people all our age. It was like their parents and them. And he leaps off the front of the raft and just like clotheslines the guy into the river. Um, and, it was, and we're like tossing water and it's fun. And like. And the guy gets back out and he's not mad, but he's like, where are my glasses? Do you remember a time in history... When, if people owned Oakley sunglasses, you were like, you were rich, because uh, most sunglasses were like $20, but if you had Oakleys, they were like $120, and you're like, how would you ever own glasses like that? Now they're all like $500. But he, he was like, where are my glasses? His, he had had his glasses on, and they came off in the water, and he had lost his like $120 pair of cool Oakley glasses. And so we're kind of like next to this raft hearing this conversation and then slowly moving away. And then just, you know, we eventually get far enough away that we're just sitting in kind of this like calm river in silence, in the aftermath of our battle going, what the hell did we just do? <laughs> like, what? Why did we do that? That was awful. Like that, the interior conversation with all of us just sitting together in a raft was like, I can't believe we did that. Like, should we pay? You know, and I, I wanted to be like, do you think you should, we should all pitch in and buy that guy sunglasses? And we, we were too poor to even consider that. But I think we've had all those moments where you, it's a good idea, and then you do it, and then you're like, what? Why did we do that? That was a horrible,
0: horrible idea. I love the idea of everyone being really quiet. Like, do you think we should all yeah we just sat there pitching in a raft. together? Or Mark, do you have any ideas yeah. what you want to do? Uh, <laughs> Maybe you should pay for it. How much cash do you have on here? Yeah. <laughs> the reason why we told that story, even though it's more fun, is it actually feels like that moment of calm floating down a river, and it's just silent. And you're like, what did I do? Uh, I really think captures the heart of failure. And that's what we're going to talk about this this morning. We're in a message series. It's like, we Failure! We're in a message series called Adulting. We're talking about maturity. And one of the hardest places to engage our maturity is what does maturity and failure look like? Mm-hmm. Maybe you have an experience where, because uh, I imagine when you all got in the raft, no one envisioned that part of the day. Yeah. No one envisioned like the silent part where you were like really regretting your horrible decision to lose someone else's classes. And I think we all have these moments. Maybe it's a new job that you took. Like you left a job and you're like, this is gonna be great. And then you just have this moment of silence. Like, what did I do? Maybe you moved across the country. Maybe you just had a conversation over the Thanksgiving table with your parents or a brother or sister. And you're like, what did I do? Maybe it's a result of a marriage That you're in, and you have these moments where you're like, Who am I, and what did I do, and where do I go from here? And so that's what we want to talk about this morning is what does maturity look like in those moments? How do we respond? Because we're not in control of our failures. We're not in control of them all the time when they happen, but how we respond to them can mean everything. So we want to look at a story in Scripture to kind of get us started where we see some maturity in failure and response. So if you brought your Bible with you, if you have it on your phone, tablet, tablet, device. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 12 this morning. And to provide a little bit of backstory, uh, David is uh, the king of the Israelite people. And um, he's beloved. He's great. They sing songs about him. He dances in his underpants. Everybody yeah. loves David. Yeah. Um, but there's this, this story that exists in his life where he's up in the middle of the night, He sees this woman Bathsheba bathing, and he decides, like, I'm going to use my kingly power to call her into the kingdom. They have an affair. She becomes pregnant. He's like, this is a bad idea. He tries to get her husband, calls him back from war and was like, hey, go visit your wife. And he's like, no, I can't do that. All the people I serve with aren't doing that. And he's like, dang it. Then he gets him drunk and like, hey, no, go hang out with your wife. And he still doesn't. And so David ultimately uh, gives the general a plan to leave this man out in battle, and he's killed in battle. So bad decision after bad decision, and there's this moment of confrontation with David in 2 Samuel 12 that we want to look at. What does confrontation or that moment of awareness that makes you very silent on a raft, what does that look like? So 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 3 said, So the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cows, but the poor man only had one little female lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up in his home with his children. She would eat his food and drink from his cup. She rested in his arms and was like a daughter. So basically like a lamb in Portland. You get it. Now named, a named Teresa, Teresa, yeah, Teresa, <laughs> Teresa, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now a visitor came to the rich man. The rich man thought it would be a pity to take one of his own sheep or cattle pre- to prepare a meal for the traveler. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared her for the traveler. David burned with anger against the man. I solemnly swear as the Lord lives. He said to Nathan, the man who did this certainly deserves to die and he must pay back four times the price of the lamb because he did this and had no pity. You are the man, Nathan told David. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and rescued you from Saul. I gave you your master Saul's house and his wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this wasn't enough, weren't enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise my words by doing what I considered evil? And jumping down after he talks a little bit more, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And I encourage you to kind of read more of the story and how it responds. But what's interesting there is, what does it look like to be confronted with your own failure? And we were talking this week, Scott had some really interesting insights just on how David's receiving the story.
1: Well, yeah, the, all stories, all stories that we hear are stories about transformation. And I think the reason why we'll watch something on Netflix or we'll go to movies or something is it's really interesting to hear a story but we're always, like, we're always looking for ourselves in stories. Even if it's, like, a completely different story. Even if it's, like, for example, I recently watched Black Panther. There's not much I can relate to as in, like, my life versus Black Panther. But I'm still, like, I got some T'Challa in me. You know, it's, uh, we're always trying to, like, find ourselves in people's stories. And what's interesting is, like, when, have you ever had that moment when somebody's telling you a story and you're inside you're like, that's convicting, because I can totally relate to that? It's interesting that either David is so much so trying to hold up an image of who he thinks he needs to be that he can't even see that this story's related to him. Like, he could have had, like, and then David took a pause and thought about it and was like, hmm, that's an interesting story, you know, like, that was convicting. So he's either, like, so so into, like, holding up this image of what he needs to be as a king that he can't he- see himself in any story, or he's completely, like, fronting and-, and keeping up the lie and going, this is what a king should do, instead of having, you know, the mercy and the compassion for a situation that he could relate to that where some kind of injustice is done.
0: And what we think is interesting is usually in our failure, uh, and the big theme that we want to talk about today is the sadness that failure brings is usually because there's something that needs to be mourned. And in this story, what needs to be mourned is a version of David that he was pushing out, that he was projecting into the world, but wasn't true of himself. It was who maybe he thought he was expected to be, who, they, who the kingdom needed him to be, what he thought. And so what a good king would do in hearing that story is to say, this is what justice looks like, even though his own life in very recent history did not live out that same kind of justice. The, the goal here isn't to trigger shame in everyone or in ourself. It's It's not that. But it's more to say when we experience failure, Part of the reason why it makes us so sad is there's a version of ourselves that we've created that never makes mistakes, that doesn't screw up, that has to die. Because it's not true. It's not you. And many of us can never mourn the death of a version of ourselves that doesn't exist and spend our whole lives running from it. And we can be running from place to place, condemning other people's stories when it's actually our own. I imagine that if David had owned that before, that there's a grace he could have received this story. Not that he wouldn't have done something about it, but there's a grace you can receive as someone who says, yeah, we all fail. We all screw up. So what we want to do is uh, we were kind of looking at different stories of failure, and there's this wonderful quote um, from 2008, 09. Uh J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter books, she gave the um, commencement speech at Harvard, And she talked about failure. And I love how she uh, puts it.
2: The fears that my parents had had for me and that I had had for myself had both come to pass. And by every usual standard, I was the biggest failure I knew. Now I'm not going to stand here and tell you that failure is fun. That period of my life was a dark one and I had no idea that there was going to be what the press has si- since represented as a kind of fairy tale resolution. I had no idea then how far the tunnel extended, and for a long time, any light at the end of it was a hope rather than a reality. So why do I talk about the benefits of failure? Simply because failure meant a stripping away of the inessential. I stopped pretending to myself that I was anything other than what I was and began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might never have found the determination to succeed in the one arena where I believed I truly belonged. I was set free because my greatest fear had been realized and I was still alive and I still had a daughter whom I adored and I had an old typewriter and a big idea. And so rock bottom became the solid foundation on which I rebuilt my life.
0: I love how she talks about this, because this actually gets into a lot of the themes that we said are kind of markers of maturity. Do you hear how the gratitude that flowed out of that? That in failure, she was still able to say, no, there's a gratitude I have for my life and what I do have and what is true about me. And there's also a humility to say that these things that are that I would see myself they can be stripped away as non-essential, and I can begin to move forward. And why we talk about this as a spiritual conversation is ultimately we believe that God created each and every one of us, and the image of God is in you. There's something that you bring to the world that no one else can bring to the world, and the the language that. Jesus uses about the body of Christ, the language throughout scripture is that we're all called to show up into the life that we've been given, and we participate in this huge community of the world, that becomes blocked when we're so afraid to demonstrate our failure. We're afraid to show up in our lives because we think we'll be exposed, that everyone will find out of who we're not and what we're not. But when we sit with our failure, we find, I love the line that she said, you can be set free to live into the world who you were created to be. One quick story to show about that. I, uh, I like to play basketball, pick up basketball. Um, I'm not very good, but I am enthusiastic. That will get you places in life. Um, So
1: You you can get trophies
0: for that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or you make your own. I've done it. Uh, (laughs) So I was playing uh, basketball. This is like, I'm 37 now. So it's like mid-20s. And I'd play basketball like every, uh, uh, once a week. And when I'd come home, my wife Sally would be like, hey, how was basketball tonight? Uh, Which is a polite thing to do. She wasn't like, give me a recap. I'm interested. It was like, (laughs) how'd it go? And I was like, I was just off my game tonight. Like, not, I just didn't have it like I thought I did. Like, I was just a little off and kind of wasn't doing whatever. And then, like, next week, how was it? I was just a little off tonight. Like, uh, the shot wasn't falling like it normally is. And then I started to realize I would say that every single week. (laughs) If I'm always a little bit off, maybe that's just my game. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's just who I am. And what I had to come to see was I had this idea of myself that my baseline was showing up and never missing a shot, never turning the ball over, never fouling anybody, perfect defense, perfect offense, which has never happened to even the best of professional athletes in the course of a game. I had this version of myself that I was propping up that didn't exist. I was celebrating this idea of who I was, and the shot never fell. It never quite went down. That is one of my favorite videos of all time. Don't feel too bad for him. Swaggy P won a championship this last year. Uh, And so part of what we're talking about is that there's this idealized version of ourselves that sometimes when we sit with ourselves, we're like, where did that come from? And why did I create that? And why do I think that's who I am or who I should be? I'm not talking about we surrender any idea of self-improvement. I'm not talking about we don't have to try to get better. Just accept that you're really not very good. What I mean is we get these pictures of who we are and what we're supposed to do in the world, and it's good every once in a while to say, where did this come from and who are we?
1: Yeah. And if there's a failure of not accomplishing the person you think you're supposed to be, there's also another side of failure which is entering into the person you actually think that you really are, which is this like complete loser. So look, we are narrative-making machines. Like our, the, like our senses, our eyes and our ears, and our smells and tastes and feelings, did I get them all? And then our inner eye, if you have that. No, but we all have, we're, our, our body is taking in all this information at all times, and our brain is synthesizing that information into a narrative that we can understand. Uh, It's taking in way more information. If we knew it all, we would go insane. So it's synthesizing that, and it's making narratives about are we safe or not, like really primal stuff. Like when you entered this room, like maybe you were like, oh, I see people I know, I'm pretty safe. Or even, you know, if you don't know people, if it's your first time, you're like, oh, these people look okay. But you didn't see like a pack of wild wolves roaming up here, and you're like, if I enter this room, I'm gonna get eaten alive. You know what I'm saying? Like your, your brain is making a decision about like this is, I'll probably be okay in here. But we also, so we make it, we're making narratives about are we safe or not, are we going to survive, but we also make narratives about who we are. And those narratives are, are actually built upon things that our parents have told us. When we were kids, other peers had told us. And so we will come up with a narrative about this is probably who I really am. If I go into this, if I take this risk and I try to do this thing, I'll I'll come to terms with who I think I really am. And so just as there's like a false idea of who you think you should be, there's also a negative false idea of who you think you are. And part of the things that withhold us from taking risks or stepping out in courage is because we think that 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 will create an artifact that will be used used against us in the case that we're a loser. Um, And so you can hear this in your inner thoughts or the things you say about yourself I remember recognizing this at one time. Um, I talked to myself quite a bit. You know, I'm an artist, so that happens. Uh, but I remember saying under my breath one time, uh, I'll never be a great artist. And I caught myself saying that. And I, I probably said it I don't know how many times, but I caught myself saying it, and I was like, what, what is the argue- Like, what is the foundation of this statement? Like what has been put together to make this statement. Um, You can put up the Van Gogh slide. Um, Oh, with basketball in the background. I love it. Uh, You know, because and that was probably, as I was creating a narrative in my life, it's like, oh, you know, I've never actually been trained as an artist. I'm mostly self-taught. I don't have any, like, master's degrees or any degrees in art making. I've never won any awards. It's mostly been a a, a journey of, uh, you know, just getting by. So I don't have any monetary validation. You know, uh, I've, I've never really had like a gallery show. So there's all these like elements that I've then created this narrative that said, you know what the rest of your trajectory is like, is that you'll never be great. And, you know, greatness is however you want to define it. That's a subjective term. But for me, it meant I wasn't accomplishing any of those things that made you a great artist. And so I said, well, let me look at that argument. That's saying that there's a narrative in front of me that just justifies that I'm actually like a real loser, that every time I fail, that's just another argument or artifact against the case of that. And so I started going, well, what if I just changed that statement? What if I changed a statement that just kind of switched the narrative and, and gave me a pathway of hope? And so I changed it, and I said, I'm on my way to being a great artist that simple changing of the phrase changed the whole trajectory of what I'm heading towards. Because it said, if I didn't accomplish something or I failed at something, it just said, oh, that's just one step in learning on my way to becoming great. Which has every person who we deem as a great creative or something has all has had failures or things that didn't work out. You know, just ask George Lucas about all the movies he made after Star Wars, right? So, uh, <laughs> you know... And and it said that actually what I'm dedicated to is not just the short term, you know, because often we get caught up in like what I can accomplish in a year. But we never really think about what we could accomplish in 10 years, that actually maybe it might take a little more time to to get skillful at something or or to make those connections or to build something that would take some time. So there's this version of failure of ourselves that we really have to confront, and I think we really need to see the argument that we say to ourselves and then change that argument. And what's helpful for me is the way that I process stuff is I make things. So I actually made a t-shirt that just said, uh, future famous dead artists. You know, I was like, one day I'm on my way to being a great artist, and that's probably when I'm dead. You know, like, after I die, then people are like, this guy's stuff is great. We should make it really expensive, and I'll never reap the benefits of any of that. So... And it's kind of a joke, but I'm, I have this T-shirt and I just wear it just to go like, hey, it's a joke, but you know, you're, you're on your way. You're on your way. And so uh, th- we have to identify this, we have to, we have to identify this like false version of ourselves, which is the false success version of ourselves. But we also have to identify the false failure version of ourselves and realize that we are not going to accomplish both of those. Like, we're not going to enter into both of those. Actually, what our lives is, is this interesting, mysterious, unknown middle ground. You know, I would say more on the success side, but actually what we enter into is something that we can't even conceive of. Even J.K. Rowling in that quote said, oh, I realized all my own fears. But in all her own fears, what she found was, but I still had really good things. I still had a daughter who I loved, who loved me. I still had a typewriter. I still had this idea. And that's the thing about failure is that we imagine that failure will lead us to this place that's all alone and we're all by ourselves, but actually there's this community of people around that love you and want to step into your life at that time. There are like many other things that are happening in the world that are are grace given to you that you haven't even considered. And so uh, the practice of like confronting these things and opening ourselves to a larger conversation about what the potential of our lives are is a good practice. One of the things that I have in this performance piece I'm doing is that I I meet with a spiritual director and that's a, I can describe that to you if you want to know what it is, but um, he showed me this practice and it's, you do this and it's, you should really do it by yourself because it's weird to do it publicly, but you should lay on the ground <clears throat> when you're by yourself, and say, say you're at a time of anxiety or doubt or fear or just you feel really cluttered and, you're, and, the, and what to do is really unclear. He's like, lay on the ground and pretend that you're in your casket. Now look, I know we're going to talk about dying, but I am in my, in my 40s. I'm an artist and I wear mostly black, so that's what you're going to get from a guy like me. Um, but he's like, lay on, your gro- lay on the ground and pretend you're in your casket and you're just about to move into whatever's next. And in that moment right before, you have to let go of everything that you've ever been given in your life. Your, you know, your finances, your things, your friends, your family, your body, your ideas, your loves, all those, those things. And begin just going through the process of releasing those things. And he says that this is a good practice because when you start doing that, and you, you begin, it's like a practice of gratitude. You begin to see that all that you have and what is most important makes its way through all the noise and chaos and comes to the surface. It's a way of centering and recentering on what's really important. So, in that same vein, we thought what a great thing to do at a church service is go to our funeral. Let's go. <laughs> there we go. And uh, we're going to just do a little like meditative time together where we ask you to answer some questions, and we're going to just kind of sit with them and release them. That those things actually aren't, those are our own fears, those are our own projections. They're actually not the truth, and we want to like, take a time to just kind of like, let those go.
0: If you think of, like, uh, it's a, I don't know what sculptor, maybe you do, that basically said like it's looking. Michael. It's Michelangelo. It is Michelangelo? Yeah. Looking at a piece of marble, and he said, I just took away everything that wasn't the sculpture. That's you. There's versions of yourself that we're holding on to. This idealized failure that everything that you make a mistake at is proof that you, that is who you are. Or that every mistake re- is, is an identification of this version of yourself, this idealized version of yourself that you're not clearing, you're not getting that bar, you're not that person. And one of the cores of the story of Christianity is death. And resurrection. There's something that has to die so that something can live. And what we want to do is have a funeral service. It is Halloween this week. Yeah. <laughs> this does say rest in pieces, and that made me giggle. Um, <laughs> we want to let go of these idealized versions, both of failure and success, so we can see, God, who is here? One of the things we talked about is you're not your greatest compliment, and you're not your greatest criticism. There's something else that's truer than true that's at the root of it. And so what we did is we have these two questions that we gave to many of you out here. And one is, describe a version of yourself that is always making mistakes to the disappointment of other people. Yeah.
1: And the other one is, describe how other people would like you to be without any mistakes or flaws.
0: And so what we want to do is we're going to read these and we're going to put them to death. We're going to put them in the grave. And here's
1: the truth about... Creativity is, this is a good standard, is that the most personal is usually the most universal. That's why you can go watch a great piece of work, like a film or an art piece or a song, and it's really particular about their journey, and you still relate to it, because the most personal is the most universal. So these are anonymous, but they're from real people in this room, and we're gonna do this because we know that when we actually share the truth of how we feel, that we all mostly can relate to them. So,
0: and we're so, going to ask if you would get your feet set on the ground, if you're comfortable, if that works for you, and if you can have your hands maybe on your, your lap open, uh, kind of an open-handed posture. And as we, we read these, uh, put them in the grave to, to imagine and see that there are pieces and versions of yourself that you're releasing. Yeah. Hit it.
1: There's a video. And music. Sound. Mm.
0: So this is, uh, we'll read first, the version of yourself that is always making mistakes to the disappointment of other people. The young, immature, and stupid me. When I come off shy and befuddled in small talk. Trying to advise people. I tend to speak out before engaging my brain. Someone who overcommits to too many people and then does not deliver on commitments, starting with small ones and then creating a cascading effect due to apathy. I feel I disappoint people relationally, not remembering their birthdays and special occasions, not able to make small talk about the day to day things of their lives. The version of myself that screws up most frequently is the one who thinks they can do everything for everyone all the time without striking a healthy balance. That version often disappoints others. The rash, quick to anger, poor habits version. I can't manage my anger and it shows its ugly self. When I'm in charge of choosing what to watch on TV, Nothing can make me feel like a failure faster than my family thinking I have chosen something that is stupid or boring. (laughs) That's great.
1: Describe how other people would like you to be without any mistakes or flaws. Always available to help, always on time, and have time. Always complete work by the deadline. Lower the level of intensity. uh, Pick the battles carefully. Strong opinions. Freely offer. Swear too much. They'd like me to be loving, kind, forgiving. Just as my... uh, Oh, just as they are too. Joyful, open to share life's brokenness. Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, generous, faithful, gentle, and stable. A perfect person and a perfect student. Perfect memory, super organized, never drops the ball, always on time.
0: And so hopefully this is a process for you to continue throughout this week. What does it look like for you to mourn a version of yourself that isn't you? Not that we aren't improving, not that we aren't working towards becoming more who God created us to be. And it involves some of these things, but there's a version of yourself that needs to die. And as we let go of those things, it's not just surrender. In the resurrection, there's something we want to grab hold of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to send you out with a benediction, and we're going to go have some chili together. So why don't we all stand, and I'd like you to receive the benediction today. This morning's benediction is actually going to be a poem by an Irish poet named David White, and it's called, Everything is Waiting for You. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny, hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence, and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you, or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentors of things to come. The doors have always been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and the creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything, everything, everything is waiting for you. Go in peace.